So it was all about my mother sort of trying to find the Alfred Newman gene and all of the children. And uh, many of us did actually go into, into music. Hi, and welcome to Best in Fest. I am Leslie Lepage, the director of the Lefemme National Film Festival, and this is a podcast for people who are interested in advancing their career in television and film and learning all the dirty little secrets that make Hollywood tick. Um, today, I have Maria Newman on the show, and she is amazing. We actually haven't had a composer on the show. Um, she is... Um, worldwide known for her imagination, her ingenuity, um, which really mark her colorful and vivid scoring. She's energetic and exciting, and gosh, she's a woman. Um, she's been commended and recognized by the U.S. Congress for her work in the field of original music uh, composition and live performance and recording. She's performed and screened in venues like Carnegie Hall and uh, the Kennedy Center. Uh, she has had one-on-one -on -one interviews paired with live concert performances on CBS uh, Sunday Morning Show, National Public Radio. Um, but, you know, that just doesn't stop there. Uh, her compositions have earned her accolades at the uh, Edinburgh Foundation a Composition Fellow. And she has also been spotlighted and is acclaimed violinist. Um, so she's got a lot uh, that we need to talk to. She is uh, the youngest of nine-time Academy Award winner uh, composer Alfred Newman. So she comes from legacy. So, uh, <laughs> so I got to start with the legacy. What was it like? Did you know you you were in? the field of music, like in the, in, in like the money-making field of music when you were a kid, did you have any choice? Did you want to be a doctor and, and, and music bit you? How did this all start for you? Well, that is a great question. And, you know, coming up on uh, being a woman, about this show, that has a large part to play in sort of how I made my my way in this world. But yes, I was born the youngest of seven children to uh, Alfred Newman. Uh, I know, but it was fun, crazy family. So crazy, but fun. And, uh, you know, we all had to study. We all had to take violin and we all had to take piano lessons every every week. There was no way we couldn't play with our friends until we had done that. So it was all about my mother sort of trying to find the Alfred Newman gene and all of the children. And uh, many of us did actually go into, into music, especially my two, uh, well, I have many older brothers, but my two chronologically older, uh, respectively speaking, um, Thomas Newman and David Newman. And uh, they did go into film music. And then my cousin, Randy Newman, who is, of course, known for his uh, brilliance in, in songwriting and, and being a great satirist and, and lyricist poet, uh, is uh, not to be forgotten as one of the greatest film composers, not just of our time, but of all time. He did Toy Story, all that franchise and everything. So she's amazing. So I really did have quite a legacy to live up to. But my dad, I'm like, have like a Picasso dad. My dad was was born in 1900. So, you know, Picasso. Uh, yes, right. Having the babies really late. But <laughs> um, uh, so that kind of put me in that early uh, uh, 20th century idea about who women were and what they were allowed to do. In a way, it gave me 
in a way it gave me great freedom because they expected nothing of me. I was going to get a husband who was going to. Right. The best, the best platform you could get to was getting married off somewhere. That's right. That's right. Even, even though we had a great musical relationship, he just didn't see it as some place where I would be uh, going professionally. I'm not even sure he wanted that for his sons, to tell you the truth. I think he really wanted, uh, you know, kind of more, like you were saying, if you wanted to be a doctor, you could be a doctor. But um, he, he, he did um, uh, really support that we loved music. Um, and my mother was the one that got behind us and forced us through. So as I got, as I got through high school, uh, I decided I wanted to go into music, but instead of writing music, which I did a lot of prior, I decided I wanted to go into the interpretation of music. So I wanted to be a player, a performer, something where my family wouldn't always be, you know, looking over my head because they had gone into composition, but I could not keep that under wraps. I, I finally came out of the composition closet and uh, uh, have been writing uh, publicly ever since. But I even hid that name. Um, I, I didn't want to be known as a composer. I wrote under a pseudonym. Uh, and really, what pseudonym did you write under? It was the pseudonym was actually of my great grandmother, but I degenderized okay. it. I made it. Her name was Mary Lewis Parker and I made right. it M. Lewis Parker. That's who I wrote. I was going to ask you if you if you degenderified that. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was was it? Go ahead. What? So was it? Was it really? Was it really tough being able to establish yourself, or was it easier to establish yourself because you you know coming from seven kids, being a girl, having all these brothers, you have to fight harder anyways. Just to, you know, just at mealtime. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> or the, the 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 torture of the arms and you know whatever the pinching and yes all the things that your brothers want to do to you uh but anyway my brothers they're good guys i appreciate them <laughs> that's good <laughs> so going back to okay so you so you so you wrote under the pseudonym and and where did that take you well uh because i was a performer it took me quite far much farther than i would have imagined because i i i played my music but it was not mine, so to speak. It was people didn't know that it was mine. So a lot of people were very open-minded. So I, as as people wanted to know where they could purchase this sheet music so they could play it, or people wanted to know how they could find out about this composer so they might commission a work on their own, um, I... That's when I could no longer keep up the, the farce. The, the, the wall was broken down. And I actually came, as I was saying earlier, my little cliche was come out of the composition closet. And, uh, and I did, of course, end up writing as, as Maria Newman. And uh, that was great. I'm not sure my family really uh, supported that part of me for a long time. But as the decades have, have gone on, uh, I have gotten, a, a, I hope I have garnered some respect from them. You know how it is with families. It's not always easy to uh, make your way. Right. Especially when you're up against a competitive field that has already really been cracked wide open by others in your family, your father, your parents. I mean, you know, who are you really, how do you establish your own footing in it? Right. Exactly. And in, in a way, how do you prove that, okay, if you're a daughter of Alfred Newman, aren't you just being handed all of this 
pomp and circumstance, so to speak. Uh, but it isn't that way. What happens is you have to get in that door. And when you get in that door, your shoes have to fill uh, an entire, you know, block long uh measurement of doors. So you really have to pull your weight. Um, so, but what I did is my, my love in life has been, of course, performance. And so I started, um, with, with all with concert music, but the way it came into film music, because I know your wonderful show has so much to do with, with, uh, human beings in film, um, is that, uh, I, um, was, called by the Mary Pickford Foundation and Library. And uh, the head of that, the curator of that, uh, asked if I would write a uh, film score to a refurbished, a re, um, restored uh, Mary Pickford. It was a series of about seven films and each were gonna be done. Each score was gonna be done in a different fashion. I was chosen to do one. Somebody was going to do a period piece. Somebody was going to do kind of a 1950s uh, romantic film score. They wanted me to do a, a modern film score in my own style. But I didn't know that at the time. And when they called, I said, I think you've got the wrong Newman. Maybe, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's right. So, that's right. But but he, uh, this was Hugh Monroe Neely, wonderful uh, artist in his own right. And he said, no, we know exactly what we want and it's you. And because of my live component, I asked, I said, well, this would be very interesting to me. Would you be interested in giving me the rights to perform the piece live with the, you know, with a film, uh, with live musicians to the film? And we came up with this wonderful symbiotic relationship with the Mary Pickford Foundation and Library. And, uh, and ever since have, uh, have been performing uh, live scores to uh, that are brand new to these restored movies um, all over, um, even even outside of the United States. So that was how I started that way. That's how it compared with, you know, classical music and and film music. That's how it came to be. Right. Well, let's talk about film music, you know, because it's very interesting. How do you, um, you know, once given the script, the the written format, how do you attack lyrically, musically in your head to support what the filmmaker is trying to do? What is your approach? What's your methodology on, on really facilitating and supporting those performances? Right. Uh, well, I think that that can be done in a myriad of ways. So when you're working in a silent film, which is, uh, I'm just starting from there because that's where I came from. So when you're working on a silent film, you might have somebody who's restored the film, uh, somebody who's in charge of the distribution of the film, yada, yada. But what you don't have is a director or producer or actors or any of the production people uh, saying, this is what we want. So when, when you're hired or commissioned to write a score for a silent previously existing film, then it becomes much like setting a piece of poetry. Uh, it is done in your own, from your own point of view, from your own perspective, from your own point of interpretation. So now when you get into uh, uh, writing for other uh yeah, well, living, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> breathing, <laughs> um, uh, that's right, directors and producers, of course, the whole process changes because it's it's all about, okay, so 
here's this film and then I'm not just coming in to write music and superimpose it over what is happening. It's very important to, of course, understand where these uh, uh, producers are coming from, where the writers are coming from and all of that. Uh, and so talking, trying things out, um, trying to figure out what the film might mean to them, because even if it's not an autobiographical or a biographical film, often the people who are making the film have a very close personal relationship with the film they're making. So I think it's really important to uh, be in symbiosis again uh, with, uh, with the filmmaker. And I'm actually working on a wonderful webcast right now um, called Burn the Witch series, uh, which is a 10, kind of 11, because there's a two-parter in there, uh, series, and uh, working with uh, the director and producer Martha Thatcher. And I'm so excited to be, to be doing that. In fact, we're recording a lot of that uh, music today. We're, we're embarking upon uh, that uh, right when we finish here at Best and Fest. Oh, good. So when you're working, so, so now let's segue. So, so when you're working with, um, you know, such as a TV series or, or a film, you know, there's a lot of confusion on, I think, the filmmaker's standpoint uh, how much they need to communicate to the composer, uh, how to communicate to the composer, how the communicate the the composer communicates back to them on facilitating the feeling they're trying to support in that scene or theme song or you know uh, or transitions into uh, you know scenes. How do you approach that? Well, it's different with every person, as I was saying, and some don't love to use a lot of words. Some, uh, I, I, it's almost as though you need to be able to pick some of those ideas from, from the, from the ether and bring them down. Others are very open. And what, what I appreciate most is, uh, when somebody actually uh, approaches you to write music, they like your voice as a composer and they feel that there will be a relationship between, uh, themselves and, and you, that means it will come together. So, uh, even when a director or producer is is expressing a certain interest in what they would like you to write, uh, it doesn't mean that they just want to pick something you know up that's on a library somewhere. They still uh, are interested in grabbing that uh, or garnering your voice for that. So, um, and I had a really interesting. Um, uh, meeting, a spotting meeting the other day. And one of the producers, her name is uh, Katie Hurling. Uh, she uh, was really interested in all of the experience that musicians have from their lives. So whether or not um, it seems interesting to the, just say to me, the person who was writing the music, what I think is interesting to the filmmaker is that you have a lot of tools in your shed due to the experience you've had through the years. You might be able to pop something out that really, um, that really, you know, wets their whistle, so to speak. Um, and, and the other thing is, uh, I, I think that uh, you need to know whether you're working um, with somebody on a sound design level, if you're working for certain scenes, you know, it, with it's just, if, is it's atmosphere, if it's tension, or is like you were saying earlier, Leslie, about thematic material. And so uh, in this piece, I, I don't want to give a spoiler, but for Burn the Witch, um, we're uh, introducing some themes almost enigmatically at the beginning of the series that will only be revealed as the series goes on. And yet we hope subliminally that the audience will pick up on some of that uh, information uh, sonically. 
Yeah, and you're doing that through 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 the composition to kind of give that foreshadowing. Uh, you know, if they pick up on it later on down the line. Exactly. Exactly. Another really interesting thing is like, okay, so for my classical music background, working uh, and performing. Composers like Bella Bartok, where they delved into micro tonality that are pitches in between pitches, and this particular production team is really interested in uh, in that micro tonality because of the of the thematic content of their film, uh, and that's really 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 fun to deal with because you're dealing with sounds that uh, are are. are Again, I say this, but again, enigmatic, and you're, you're you try to grab them, but you're not sure if you can quite grab them, and then finally, finally, you right. And I'm assuming they are doing that because they're dealing with the concept of witchery and, and witches. Yes, that's right. And it's actually the the movie has a lot to do with um, with racism in a way because of the fact that witches uh, in Salem in the during the day were so horribly uh, persecuted. Of course. And, right. So there's there's a whole whole lot of, of great diversity, uh, I think, in the in the film as well. That's done very, very tastefully. And uh, it's it's really a wonderful film, a lot of poetry in it. It's got a lot of Shakespearean influences too, uh, kind of almost Macbethian in a sense. So, ooh, 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 that sounds really, really good. Um, let's let's just talk technically. You mentioned something about a you know a spotting session. A lot of people that are listening in may not be aware what a spotting session is. Can you just give us a, you know like a, a little bit of a kind of a, a definition of what that is? And of course. Absolutely. Forgive me for that. Of course, you see, I just look at your brilliant visage <laughs> and I just assume that well, every, every listener. Yes. So, um, of course, well, we got, well, you know, I try and doubt, I try and make sure that every, every component of the listener exactly. gets, gets this, you know, and understand some course. may have it, some may not. He, every person is, is so important and, and thank you for, for bringing that up. So, uh, there are many interesting things that are involved in, in creating music for, uh, for a movie or television or streaming or whatever it is now with the uh, new media. Uh, it's, it's interesting because, um, music being sonic, it can interfere or not interfere with several things. It can interfere with fully, um, which would be um, manufactured sounds. It can um, it can interfere with dialogue if you're not careful. If music goes on top of dialogue or or plays to it too much or whatever. So during um, during the uh, production process, because music is highly post production. Uh, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent when I say that. So you've got your pre production where everything's in development. And then you have your production where things are actually happening. They're being filmed. They're being thought of. Then you go into post-production. You've got your editing. And of course, you put your music to it. Now, I'm just going to go on a tiny tangent again. Uh, this is a tangent of a tangent that there are some composers who decide that they're going to do thematic work for the filmmakers prior to the film beginning. That's that's becoming, uh, becoming kind of an interesting um, um, way that uh, people are... Um, I think coming together on what it might mean. But anyway, back off that tangent now. Um, when you have a spotting session, this is still post-production. However, um, a so the movie's been made, the picture's been cut, but it could be a really rough cut. It could be a long ways before that picture is locked. So there are a lot of there are a lot of changes that have to be made up until the very last second. When you spot, you literally find the spot 
that you want to put your music, where it's going to begin, where it's going to end, what the feeling is going to be of that music. Uh, and there are many times, you know, you, you play something, um, you, you might make a mock-up of it, you might play it on a solo instrument. And, you know, a lot of times people say, what else you got? And you try something else. And, and so spotting is, uh, you know, spotting is the very beginning where you decide where you want that music. Um, in this case, we were sort of doing a lot of work with spotting in, in Burn the Witch series. We were doing a lot of spotting and ideas at the same time. We just, because of COVID, we had that, uh, sort of uh, palette that we could do that because there things weren't moving along. Now they're moving along much more quickly, of course, as we, uh, as we attempt to, uh, to resume more normal lives while still being careful, of course. So, um, <laughs> um, so spotting is that it's just literally where is the music going to go? And the, uh, the ideas, it, and it, I think it's interesting because if you've got a really open-minded director, or producer, um, or both, uh, they will say, yeah, I really love that idea. Do you have something you might like to offer? And you can, you know, at that point, uh, also give your ideas about it. But the point about writing music for film is it is not what I would do writing music for the concert stage, nor is it what I would necessarily do writing music for a silent movie. It's a completely different landscape. So th that's what a spotting session is. And there are many that happens. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on how long everything is. Yes. That's a great explanation. And thank you. And so now people actually, you know, understand, um, you know, a lot of filmmakers, um, I think like, to, I, well, I should say a lot of the young filmmakers that are, you know, coming through the ranks, they like to start bringing in the composer earlier on than really what was more standard, um, which was bringing the composers on later, right? Um, and when they are bringing the composers on, I believe that really gives the opportunity for a more collaborative environment for when they're shooting, um, you know, even allowing the composer to sit on set um, and, and really see that, that live shooting so they can get a feel and a taste and a flavor of, of what it is so that they can go away and start thinking about uh, what's going to happen in post-production. Absolutely. Um, how do you feel from a standpoint of you being the composer? Does that work for, against the creative process? Do you like that? Do you feel that's the wave of the future? Um, as I do see a lot of younger filmmakers m moving more in that direction. Right. Well, uh, I could see it happening both ways, of course. I know um, my my friend Hans Zimmer, who's obviously a, a very famous film composer, tends to do all of his, he does these suites, S-U-I-T-E-S, suites of his pieces prior to the uh, production process. And then I think, and, and maybe he doesn't do it on everyone, but I, I he's, he seemed to be really into that idea. And what then happens is then maybe the filmmakers play that music during their uh, production process, even the development process, of course, which a suite would be in a development process. So yes, on the other end. Um, and I think that can be really exciting because you will have something, yes, that comes together for that collaboration 
collaborative effort, uh, much more than if, say, uh, a filmmaker will go through an entire uh, movie and have put take temp music. My brother, Thomas Newman, he said he had to write the same score over and over and over again because they all used his, his music from another movie. So they'd use Shawshank Redemption or, you know, they'd they'd use the, the player or something that he did. And then they say, can you make it sound like that? And, you know, so there can be, um, oh, this is a complete tangent, but I think it's worth, worth hearing. It's only, <laughs> there's only a slight analogy with this, but I love this story. So my father was up uh, on a given year for uh, four Academy Awards out of five possible slots in the, okay. So he was up for literally four. And the one that was left, I might've been Miklos Roja, who was a freaking genius for double life. It might've been that. Now I may be wrong. Somebody would have to uh, call and we could debate this, but uh, whatever it was, the, the composer who was not my father won the Academy Award that year. So my father definitely beat himself out, <laughs> which is, which is kind of interesting. So it's not always what it, you know, what it is, is racked up to, to seem. Uh, it's not all, yeah, wow, four Academy Award nominations in one category. Of course you're going to win. No. Yeah. So this, the same sort of thing. Um, if, if, uh, say, um, Martha Thatcher, the, my, my director would be taking, um, uh, a bunch of my music to tempt to her, uh, her work, um, it may be that we would run into that same thing. Well, we want it to sound like that. We want it. And instead we decided to go at it from a completely, uh, different, um, she actually did suggest one piece that I've sort of tried to stay away from thus far. Uh, we'll see what happens because, uh, this, uh, this web series makes its premiere on October 21st. Um, so it's, that's coming up with that pilot, but, um, it'll, it'll remain to be seen because we're going to be, you know, writing and recording very very quickly at this point as you can see because the time is, time is coming up yes yes exactly <laughs> exactly well, so yeah so i do think it's great to collaborate uh, ahead of so, time so that's that's interesting um you also touched upon you know sometimes the filmmakers will communicate to their composers hey i want it i want it to sound like this right and they'll they'll give a name of a song or they'll give a name you know from the standpoint of the filmmaker it's not that we want you necessarily to duplicate that exactly but that's kind of the feeling we're going for so um you know i know that uh filmmakers will say i want Listen, we, we want to pull songs from the 40s, but we don't want to pay, right, for the licensing of those iconic songs from the 40s. What can you give us, you know, for that? How do you attack something like that uh, when you're when you're trying to, you know, really mantle this this big thing, this big concept. Right, right. Well, that answer, of course, is also multifold. That answer is also multifold because uh, there, you know, way back in the day when John Williams was starting to do Star Wars, of course, the idea was to bring symphonic music in that reminded people maybe in that day and age, right? In the, that was 77 or something, but remind people in that day and age, what was familiar to them, what might be exciting to them. So I think uh, he did a, a brilliant job of of crafting, you know, scores through throughout the, the time when he's used that particular uh, um, inspiration. I don't yeah, know yeah, tactic yeah. of uh, yes, exactly uh, of doing it. Um, 
one thing is, uh, I, but there was a, in this particular film I'm working on now, um, there was, I, I'm, I'm I'm hesitating to say what the actual inspiration was, but what I did only because I don't know if they, they'd want me to, that's the only reason. Yeah. So, but they had an idea that they'd heard from a, from another movie that happened to be a, a witch style movie. And it was, it was creepy and odd. And uh, so I, I heard it, um, you know, as a temp kind of thing. And I, I, uh, I don't even think she had it placed, but she just gave me the idea of what it was like. So I, I heard the, instrumentation, the orchestration, I pulled out some instruments and we went over some things completely different, but it still has an element of the orchestration that I think was close enough to uh, our director to uh, give her uh, the feeling that she was getting what she wanted. And yet we had something completely original. So that was one way of doing that in, in that case. Um, other yeah. And other ways. Now, what about, you know, your cover songs or whatever that, I mean, and licensing is its whole, a whole nother, as you well know, but maybe your audiences would like to know that, you know, sometimes it can cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to, to um, not even get the regular, the, the, the original audio in from songs, but even to cover them can cause a cover meaning to uh, recreate uh, with uh, in, in the, the, the now recreate in the now what um what that song was like but um what uh i think has happened um a lot is that some songwriters are being hired uh to give so again the feeling of what you might want but it's a completely different completely new song and uh that seems to have been a really nice uh, uh nice way to get around uh some of these these ideas i even had a I had a friend have a friend she's an adored friend um, who is a, a, an author and she was starting to write a sci-fi book at the time where little compact discs would be put in the book and you would listen to specific songs as you were listening to the book. It was like her playlist kind of before that, you know, and she, and I guess that's done more now, but she couldn't get the rights to, to any of it. It was very difficult for her. So she found some other ways to, to deal with it. I think she just wrote in the, um, in the notes or something in the book, you know, the forward or the, or the, the post, um, to, uh, to, listen to some songs that she thought might give people an idea of, of the timing. But certainly, I mean, even with Stranger Things or my gosh, with Guardians of the Galaxy, when you're looking at 1980s songs, I know it's just unbelievable. And it gives you a feeling exactly, but it also gives you that feeling of what you might want for that movie. I mean, would I like Guardians of the Galaxy as much without my beloved 80s songs in there? Maybe, Maybe not. I don't know. But it really made a big difference for that for that movie. Of course, that was a billion dollar franchise. So we're talking about a, you know, not even a hundred dollar <laughs> franchise when we're talking <laughs> lots and lots yeah. of money. I just tell I just right, I tell my kids, I say, you know, they might be millionaires, <laughs> I'm a hundredaire. Um anyway, uh so that's that's uh how we've been getting around things. And uh uh we did we were able uh for a movie that my husband scott was uh supervising we were able to get a randy newman um song it sounds like it should be easy because he's my cousin but it wasn't but uh feels like home <laughs> it's not randy it's the people who represent randy right it's that yeah so um but yeah <laughs> No, exactly. I mean, and his name has to be a certain font size bigger than somebody else. It's really interesting. So, um, 
anyway, there, there are, there are times when we have great success at, at, at getting original audios for, uh, for songs and, and other times that we just have to, uh, go different direction. Well, let's segue a bit. Um, you know, a lot of the the indie filmmakers that can't afford, let's say, to use orchestras here in the United States because orchestras are under union, uh, higher pay per, you know, per person, depending on what how big your orchestra is, they will work with orchestras. They'll have it composed here. They will utilize a composer here, and then they will hire an orchestra that's in an East Eastern Block country and work satellite with them and the composing. How do you feel? Um, do you like that? Uh, do you find that to be a interesting creative process working with a whole different structure of an orchestra that's maybe not in front of you as opposed to, you know, tangibly working with an orchestra in front of you? If, if you are you know, utilizing the composition orchestra score for whatever it is that you're creating. Exactly. That's a very good question. See, I also make a good deal of my living playing for, uh, for movies and television as well. So, uh, I'll, I'll be going to play, uh, uh, Nami Melamed's score for Strange New Worlds Monday night. I'll be there. And then I'm doing Julie Bernstein's Animaniacs, uh, again. So I'm trying to mention women as much as I can here. Yeah. No, no, no. That's yes. good. No, that's good. <laughs> and, and for those listening in, she means that she's actually, you know, she still gets brought in to play violin, her beautiful, uh, tech technique for and being part of these orchestras in scores for these films and TVs. Yeah. Yes. It, it has been a beautiful way to make a living. Um, it was not great during the COVID lockdown because we couldn't work, but um, we've been getting back into that kind of work. Now, of course you can write during lockdowns. You, you can do that, but back to, so it's a tough question for me uh, about uh, as a composer, I would say that any way you can get your music recorded and and you know brought to um a, a platform such as a recording where the general public can hear it any any way you can do that i think you've got you've got to do it if it's if in, in other words if you're gonna you know go and and uh hire an orchestra in prague i mean of course the musicians are unbelievable and you you're gonna uh you know you could even fly there too you don't necessarily have to do satellite or you know or you have your orchestrator go or you know something like that but um uh, one thing that is so wonderful about uh, the Hollywood musician, uh, I don't know, milieu, um, it's a big milieu, um, be it, we can, the people in our group can do anything. I mean, absolutely anything. So I think I was telling you, we were just, I was uh, doing Animaniacs, uh, which is the old, the old, when I say old, it was, um, I guess, in the, um, in the 2000s. And um, Steven Spielberg was the one that was making those at the time. And now there's a wonderful reboot on Hulu and, um, it's, it's absolutely in, insanely great music. Um, I mean, I mean, it's typical, uh, well, it's not typical. It's atypical. It's wonderful. It's unique, but it's typical in the fact that it's fast. It's like, you know, 220 to the quarter note. It's crazy fast. Like if fast. you think audience, yes, that you're right. That, that, uh, you know, a quarter note equals 60. That's like, you know, one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000. So, you know, 220 is going to be that much faster than quarter note equals 60. So it is fast. But the point is that, um, it's, it's just 
there's it goes from something like that to maybe some Strauss waltz in the in the mercurial left turn um and then instantly goes into some um you know crazy uh jazz uh souped up jazz moment and i am telling you these musicians in los angeles are they're gods at doing this. They're amazing. It's unbelievable. And do not forget, um, you know this, of course, because of your illustrious career, but that musicians have the music put in front of them and they have to sight read it the first time and it has to be perfect. Right. Yeah, it, it has to not, be right. <laughs> the, the money, that's right. And the money that you were talking about with the songs or covers or anything, um, you have a lot of money that you're putting into your musicians that are in the room recording. And if they don't read it, you can make whatever changes you want as the composer, um, but the the musicians who are in the room, they have to be perfect immediately. So there's a lot to be said for that. You sometimes what you know you you pay for what you get for. So, but there are millions, well, millions, you know, probably by now, but many, many films that come out of these uh, uh, sort of the auspices of what you were saying with the you know being a part, and they 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 come out beautifully. They just come at you. So there's not really an answer. I mean, I think it's valid to uh, to score your your movie however it can be done. I mean, it, it depends on what your budget is. It depends on, you know, if you've got an all-in deal and they're just, you know, sorry. Um, Leslie, your score has to be, um, I'm giving you X amount of dollars and you have to write it and you have to get it copied and you have to do the, you know, get everything to everybody. You have to hire the engineer. You have to hire the room. You have to hire the... What are you going to say? Sorry, you have to hire the LA musicians. I don't think so. You're, you know, you're, you're going to have to do it however you can. Exactly. Where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, you know, uh, that's a really good question. If you'd asked me that before COVID, um, I would have been like, I'm living my dream. I mean, I just, I, I love to be, um, you know, I love being a musician. I, the great thing about being a musician is it never gets old. It's like playing a game. If you're, you know, just say you're a soccer player and you, your body worked until you were 105 and you could just, you know, every game is different. So in music, every single thing is different. The freelance world has been wonderful for me because it's, I have five children that I am still raising and, um, they had, that has enabled me to raise them because I do have a, um, I do have a freelance situation which always isn't as rosy as it seems of course you if you if you turn down too much there's always somebody else in line you know and you you do but you also want to foster younger musicians um i love i love the classical component of my career um i have uh i have loved uh one thing that the lockdown brought to me that i and you wouldn't know this from how lame i was getting on technically at the beginning of our our time together here but um but I, I have uh, garnered a lot of, of, of satisfaction from uh, making some beautiful live recordings that are then cataloged. And so we have a lovely YouTube channel. Um, when I say we, these are the musicians of our organization. We have a nonprofit organization um, called, uh, well, our YouTube channel is Montgomery Arts House Presents, Montgomery Arts House Presents. And we just started it this year. Um, and they're, they're, um, we, because we had to have a way to let our musical juices flow during that pandemic lockdown um, that we continued to make lots of, of, of movies of that. And so we're continuing, we're continuing with that. And now live concerts are starting again. Um, and I know many live concerts have started in large 
venues uh, for at least a year now, but um, we are in a small venue. I run a, as I was saying, a nonprofit um, uh, here in Malibu, California. And so we just started our first festival this year. It was three full years, two festivals we missed, but three full years. So the live concerts are starting again. Um, and there's just so much to look forward to. There's there. I've got a lot of commissions, new pieces to write. Um, I'm so excited about Burn the Witch um, um, uh, coming out. And I, I have great... Uh, uh, I have great expectations for for where uh, these women, this w a female production team, is taking this uh, this amazing uh, amazing film series. Awesome! Um, give me a dirty little secret that you wish, like your father, your <laughs> somebody in the industry, would have told you that you have learned along your travels. Okay, so I'm. Um, I'm, I don't know, maybe by saying this, I'm actually not, but humility is really important to me. I, I really feel that you need to respect people and respect each other, no matter who you are, no matter what race you are, no matter what gender you are. Um, that is really important. But I wonder if somebody had told me that I just needed to be a little more hard-nosed, that I couldn't let people walk over me as much, um, that I would have been a little bit more forward moving instead of just sort of sitting back and waiting for the accomplishment side to be recognized. I think there has to be something I've gotten better at, um, at putting myself out there as, as an artist rather than just waiting back and saying, Oh, this is thank you. Thank you. But, um, I, I think it's important for people to know that they that it's a much bigger world. So like when Samuel Barber won the Pulitzer Prize, I think he won two Pulitzer Prizes, but there just weren't that many composers around. American composers, I mean, there just weren't that many. Oh my God, is Samuel Barber's amazing. That's not the point. The point is that now... And especially with with um, with the technology that's available to us at our fingertips, um, I really think that uh, that it's it's a, a big world that we need to try to get we need to try to get through. And you know, this is really totally off topic, so maybe maybe it's not really worth publishing or not. But there's there is something about technology, if we're not careful of that, I think fosters boredom in people. And I really wish that if people would, um, not everybody wants to, but if people got out there to create their own things and be really excited about them, um, and then we supported each other, like we are doing as women right now, Women for Women, that, um, I mean, there's so much content. And so we have to, I don't know, sift through, maybe all the content's valid, you know, maybe it is. Uh, but I think it's really important that um, that we still have tangible uh, connections with our world. And I don't think my father could have told me that, that he would never have known that uh, there wouldn't have been a tangible, he would never have known. How could we have known 20 years ago that this was going to be like this? I'm grateful. Look, I am talking to you here from my studio. That's insanely wonderful. That's a plus. That's a silver lining. But if I'm sitting there, you know, and I've just got, it just means that people, I think people need to take advantage of what they have um, and, and be strong for themselves. Yes, much better said. Maximize it. Beautiful. All right. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on uh, Best and Fest. Uh, tell everyone where they can get more information on your nonprofit, uh, calendar of events, etc. Um, on that. And then shout out your show socials. 
Well, thank you. I am, um, uh, well, you can go to YouTube, Montgomery Arts House Press, to see a lot of uh, live performances and also some studio performances. We also work with an incredible photographer who I just have to say is a genius. Juan Tayo is his name. Um, and we have some, uh, some uh, I think, beautiful uh, videos that, that we've created that go along with his photography as well. Um, I am at... Uh, uh, Maria Newman official is my Instagram account. I'm, uh, uh I have a, a public Facebook page, which is called Maria Newman. I know it's a really like a uh, exciting name, but, um, <laughs> Maria Newman. I, I also have a, a personal Facebook, which is ML Newman. Um, and then, uh, on my website is, uh, Maria Newman composer. It's uh, Um And if you want to look at what we've been doing with our music festival, we're at Malibu, Malibu Coast Music Festival.net, Malibu Coast Music Festival.net. Um, I think somebody wrote something about me on Wikipedia. Um, I, uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so there's all that, that stuff. Was, yeah, that's. <laughs> So for those uh, interested, you know, check check her out and, and really uh, follow her. I want to thank you so much for joining me on A Best in Fest. Uh, for those that want to see the video component, you can go onto the YouTube channel, of Femme International Film Festival. And for those listening to us, you can find us on all the podcast platforms everywhere worldwide. Make sure you uh, like us, rate us, rank us, and DM us and tell us uh, who you'd like us to interview. Um, I want to thank uh, again, Marie. Maria Newman for joining Best in Fest. Such a complete honor, Leslie. Thank you. I hope we can do it again. Absolutely. Anytime. Mm -hmm.